Hello, I'm Emily Bellet, founder of Vespod and author of You're Not Broke, You're Pre-Rich, and you're listening to The Wallet. Every week, we give you the best tips, guidance, and a good dose of inspiration and motivation to manage your money better. Can you build an impact business and make a profit? What would be your journey toward your first £1 million revenue? Telling people to be more confident simply doesn't work. How can we as women get more of what we want? My guest today is Lauren Curry, a designer and entrepreneur who has been building businesses for the past 15 years. Founder and CEO of Upfront, she's on a mission to help 1 million women boost their confidence by 2023. Lauren is Scottish but now lives in Sweden with her partner and her son, who just turned five. In 2017, she was awarded an OBE for her services to design and diversity. We want to discuss how to build a world we want to live in, money, and how to change our attitudes toward confidence. Want to give your money an opportunity to grow this year? Wealthify makes investing simple by choosing and managing your investments for you. And if you open a Wealthify plan and invest at least £50 by 30th of June 2023, they'll give you an extra £50. Terms and conditions apply. New customers only. The offer is capped at the first 500 customers. Find out more and claim the offer at wealthify.com slash the wallet. With investing, your capital is at risk and you could get back less than you put in. Wealthify is regulated and authorized by the Financial Conduct Authority. Remember that we are not certified financial advisors. Information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not constitute financial advice. I guess the core of your mission with, with Upfront is really helping women, um, you know, get more confident. But it's not by just telling women to be more confident that, that, we, can, that we can achieve that. So c- can you tell us a, a little bit about how can, can we become more confident and why is it actually important? Of course. And I think you, you, what you said there kind of alluded to the big challenge that I face and that the word confidence has got so many negative connotations around it because so much of our society when you think about confidence in women together it shows up in this very often harmful often kind of toxic narrative of if women were just more confident then everything would be better and you know that's why our strap line is very intentionally we want to change confidence not women you know the problem that we are here to solve it's not that women and girls don't have confidence. It's that we live in a society and a culture that doesn't reward confidence in women and girls. You know, I believe that all girls are born with confidence and then someone or something takes it away. And I think, you know, it gets really interesting when you consider what that looks like in the context of work in the context of our professional growth and our careers. And, you know, I spend all my days thinking about this. Like, it's complicated and it's even more complex when you apply it to work because the external barriers that exist have such an impact on women and often mean that they have very low confidence. And I think things like leadership and team culture really affect your confidence and then because confidence itself is so squishily defined it's like what does that even mean it's a word that we band around but we don't 
really know what it means. So it ends up as it becomes an excuse to perpetuate sexism and prejudice. And because it's so narrowly defined, most of us most of us find ourselves in the struggle, like trying to figure out what is it, how do I get it, how come she has it and I don't. And so often bosses or leaders, they think they're doing somebody a favour by pointing out, you know, you've got a confidence problem. You need to be more confident. And, you know, nine times out of ten, that actually makes things worse because very, you know, it would be very rare for that statement to be backed up with context, with evidence, with data. You know, so we hear things like, to be louder in meetings like why you know why that's asking that person to change themselves and it's not recognizing that most of us have team cultures at work where the loudest person the person who gets the most airtime and talks the most gets rewarded the most that shouldn't be the case so yeah I think confidence in your team is about praise and trust and feedback and openness and ironically the the instruction of like be more confident really doesn't have a place in a conversation about confidence because at best it's useless and it at its worst it just gets in the way yeah and and I think we've I mean that's that's right I think we we've always been told you know maybe you're also like you're too loud like you know you know, keep your head down and, and work more. And I see in the, I work in the finance before and that was, you know, really the point. So what's the balance between being overly confident and being seen as arrogant and then the opposite where actually it's good to be quiet and, and, and do your work. Um, so how do you find this this balance? Yeah, you're right. And I think what you've shared is the reality for, you know, the thousands of women who have come through our bond program Everybody has this story, right? You'll have your story of your your experience of working in finance where you were given a very clear message that your confidence wasn't right. You know, it was either too little, too much, not the right sound, not the right shape, you know, whatever that looks like. My version of that story was all through my teens and young adulthood, being repeatedly told that I was too much, too loud, too enthusiastic, too excited. And, you know, I had people tell me that that was, I was never going to get a boyfriend. (laughs) Which is just, what a tragedy. It's just, it's, and it's this very real truth that women can't win we cannot win in this patriarchal society and so so many of us get obsessed with the idea of avoiding being arrogant like that is the worst insult that a woman could ever receive right you love yourself you're arrogant you know growing up in the west coast of scotland it's very who does she think she is she's too big for her boots and I grew up hearing these, having these ideas hurled at me and it did affect me and I'm it's a huge reason why I'm doing the work I'm doing now. So, you know, that is, 
that is the problem that Upfront is existing to solve. I think the first step when you're thinking about the relationship between confidence and arrogance is to recognise all the different ways that we've been tricked. It's like we must realise that this system that we are living and working and playing in is working exactly how it was designed to work, to maintain the status quo, to keep women small and quiet. One of the most transformative moments in Upfront for women who go through our programme is realising that the, the system is the problem. It's not themselves that's the problem. And I think for many, that's a huge wake-up call. It's like realising that you've been taught to blame yourself for the consequences of living in a sexist, racist, prejudiced society. And, you know, people who are arrogant don't ever worry about being arrogant. So that's often a thought that I share that I hope can bring some people some peace around this fear of being thought of as arrogant. And the reality is, if you are a woman, and especially if you're a black woman, a brown woman, a queer woman, you know, all of these barriers intensify and are amplified. But if you choose to speak up, to love yourself, to share your ideas, to take up space in the world, people will think you're arrogant. And that's okay. It's not fatal. You'll be fine. <laughs> Upfront is actually your, your second business. You had a business before where you maybe changed the way um, you've been working um, on this business. So maybe I wanted to talk a little bit about finding this dream job, fi like building this dream business, making it all work, um, you know, balancing it with your personal life and having kids. We, we know, you know, that <laughs> how, how this works in practice. Um, but how do you sort of avoid or see burnout, enjoy what you're doing and work with a lot more intention? Yeah, the million dollar question. I mean, I, I really don't, like the word balance because I think it's a false idea that you can have balance I think when you are extremely passionate about one thing then there's always trade-offs and so to your point it's about being intentional about what those trade-offs are and You know, for me, I think Upfront is actually maybe my sixth or even seventh business. So it's taken me a really long time. Six For six years, it was a side hustle. You know, and I finally went full time in April 2021. So it took me, it's taken me a long time to get to a place where I fully, deeply feel I am working on the right thing in the right way at the right time and I don't think you can shortcut that now of course I'm not saying to folks listening it's going to take you 15 years absolutely not everybody's journey is very different but I think recognizing that these things do take time and with time it's about experimenting and prototyping and trying things out because I don't think there's 
any such thing as a dream job or a dream business. And the reason that we fall for that trick is because social media makes us stare and obsessively watch showreels of people's lives and people's businesses that aren't real. You know, we only get to see the really shiny, sexy side of things where there's another reality that is messy and lonely and painful that we don't get to see, of course, because it's not so shiny and it's not so Instagrammable. And, you know, for people who... If you're stuck in a job that you absolutely hate and you're desperately scrambling for what's next, what's my thing, what's my purpose, where can I go, I want to say to you that you're not going to find the answer to that whilst you are depleted. Like you're in this awful job and you're tired, you're stressed, maybe you're anxious And I see so many women in that situation trying to come up with their life's purpose (laughs) from that mindset. And that's such a shame because that's not going to work. Like what you need to do is take a small step to get yourself out of there. Maybe it's a job that you're overqualified for that will pay you a little less, but it will give you the space and the mental capacity to recover and to heal And then you can start asking these big juicy questions. Like there's a reason there is a billion dollar industry around helping people find their purpose. Like it's really fucking hard. (laughs) It's really hard. And it's not And you may never find it. (laughs) (laughs) It's not something that happens quickly. It's not something that feels comfortable. And it's definitely not something I think that happens when you are depleted. So... I'd encourage you also to, I think there's a lot of power in recognising what season you're in. You know, this idea of like, are you in a season that needs you to be in winter? You know, head down, resting, recharging. Like, are you in spring where you're full of ideas, full of energy? Do you have small children who need more of you right now? Do you need to make financial decisions because you need to find a deposit for a house or you know those things are really important and it's easy to forget that we're all at different seasons and we're all at different stages and sometimes you can get so frustrated because you're not in the season you want to be in and I think there's a lot of grace and peace can come with just accepting you are where you are and kind of leaning into that and then I think it's it's always about starting small you know tiny tiny steps I think most people are waiting for the perfect conditions to start the business to leave the job and there's no such thing perfect conditions don't exist you just have to get going and then get good I love what you say about seasons um sorry they just hear a bit of noise. Um, I love what you say about about seasons and looking at maybe how you feel and maybe adjusting your goals because we, I think we've been sold this dream that if you work hard, you know, your journey, your career is going to be linear. And for women, it's like, you know, you will get more senior, you will earn more. But that's not the reality because 
maybe you're going to have children, maybe you're going to take care of elderly parents of your community, you want to do something else. So we feel at, at times we feel we're going backwards, you know, maybe you're not going to get this promotion, maybe you're leaving the workforce, maybe you're starting from scratch, as you say, you're starting small. So I guess it's really knowing, you know, why, why you do this thing. So I love this idea of, of looking at it at, you know, smaller bunches, maybe it's, it's easier. I actually learned about this idea of thinking of it in seasons from Katie Murray, who you might know, who's yeah. just written a book. Of course, she came on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. so her book, Changemakers, talks about this idea of being in different seasons. And, you know, I think it's also recognising that entrepreneurship is not for everybody. Like this kind of narrative of everybody should start a business I think is is bullshit like it's very dependent on your personality your learning style your circumstances what you're good at what where what type of environments you thrive in and at the same time I think there's a lot of people who are a bit brainwashed by the idea that employment brings safety and security because I think that idea is just more and more becoming quite out of date. It's like any employer will always put their organisation above an individual, even if they're the most brilliant, kindest employer in the world. And, you know, when you're employed, there is a cap as to the amount that you can earn. Like eventually you will reach a cap where it's not possible to earn anymore. And when you're an entrepreneur, that cap doesn't exist. Your income can only keep multiplying if, you know, if it's going well and and things are, and you're able to make that happen. So I want to remind people of that because when I talk to people about, you know, they've got this thing, whether we want to call it an itch or a desire or a, a gut feeling or there's they just have this feeling inside them that they're there's this part of them that's not being expressed that's not being fulfilled like they want to create something in the world whether it's a business or a community or this new thing and the main reason I hear for why people don't do that is money and I think when you dig really deep into that it's never really about money it's about fear because when you do the maths most of the time, not always, but most of the time, the money piece would actually be fine. Yeah. And you've been talking really openly about money, which I really appreciate because it's it's not easy. And you've you've posted about your how much money you've been making with, with upfront um recently. Can you tell me a little bit of the process? behind it uh, the the thought process of wanting to share openly how you're building this business that makes money and you said you made one million pound in revenue last year but at the same time it's an impact business it's a social business your goal is to help women so how do you make sure you know collectively you're sharing about the process and you're helping others you know join in the journey Yeah, it's a good question because it was not an easy decision and 
it did make my tummy hurt for a few days <laughs> trying to figure out. So, you know, anyone who follows me online, and if you don't, I hope you will now. Hi. Um, <laughs> will know that, you know, I do make a really intentional effort to be honest and open about the things that aren't work, things that aren't working, things that I tried that went wrong, mistakes that I've made, things that I'm struggling with, and I actually find that fairly easy. Like I don't, it's it's easy for me to share. I'm sharing comes very naturally, and I think part of that is to do with my design education. You know, I went to art school for four years to study product design, and part of the craft of design is about working in the open. You know, you're constantly sharing sketches, models, getting feedback, being critiqued. But when it came to this £1 million revenue milestone, I immediately thought, my immediate instinct was, well, I can't share that because everybody will, you know, what will they say? I will be, I will be judged essentially it's what all the voices can be grouped into this idea of being judged and then I spoke it through with my dear friend and mentor James Routledge and by the end of the call with him it was really clear to me that of course I had to share it for lots of different reasons you know one being I want to normalize women talking about money making money I want to normalise women starting businesses. And I also want to show the world that it's possible to build a business that is is impact-led and generates wealth at the same time. You know, of course, it's a funny thing that we know that not everybody knows the difference between revenue and profit. So I I had to (laughs) make that really clear. People are like, does this mean you're a millionaire? I'm like, absolutely not. That would be profit. This is revenue. So um, I wrote I wrote a post and, of course, it is the most, I think, the most uh, engaged with piece of content I've ever written or put out there in all my, like, 15 years. And the feedback was absolutely incredible. There was lots of positivity and lots of joy but this the the feedback that I wasn't expecting, which actually made me cry a few times because I was so kind of touched and moved, was the voice notes and the emails and the messages from other women, many of whom are in the bond in our community, just being so deeply, deeply, sincerely proud and like happy for me and excited. And that felt like a really special thing. Because, yeah, I just didn't, I hadn't seen that. I was expecting some high fives and like, you know, kind of credibility type of kudos. But I hadn't expected like love kudos. And that was, yeah, it was really special. Well done. That's amazing. Making these types of announcements are hard, but, you know, it it helps you in the journey. I guess that, you know, the messages from the community, that's what also, you know, keeps you going, the impact Mm -hmm. you have. What's the 
what's the downside of all that? Usually we, when there's highs, <laughs> mm -hmm. there are lows. Uh, and in an entrepreneur's journey, there are, there are lots. So maybe you can tell me a little bit about the challenges for you and, and maybe the fears, um, if any. Gosh, there's lots. I could write a book <laughs> about the challenges and the fears as a daily roller coaster. <laughs> um, one of the hardest pieces for me is my personal, my, my whole identity is so wrapped up in my work and Upfront's identity and Upfront's purpose in our community that it's very hard and I you know I've stopped trying to untangle the two because I think it's just part of the course of being an impact driven founder but that's really it's really hard like it means that there isn't really any downtime or yeah there isn't really any downtime And that means that that kind of follows into, I think, what the second hardest thing is. And I will say, like, I have made really good progress with this and I'm making progress all the time. But this kind of bias towards overworking. So that because I care so much and I'm so excited about it and I'm so driven and my personality and my skill set leans towards doing, not talking, action you know very action orientated there's a bias there to overwork which of course would event could eventually lead to burnout which happened to me in my in my first business so it can be very all-consuming and on the days where you know you get rejected or you're misunderstood or something goes wrong or you make a big mistake you know that can it feels It's hard. Like it, it can hit you. It it can hit you hard. And then there's just the reality of being a woman founder. Like you'll you'll know all the data on this more than me. It's like we know what the data says around how difficult it is to be a woman building a business. I'm a woman building a business that is trying to get clients to buy into the idea of gender equality. That's like even harder because I'm selling a I'm essentially selling a movement rooted in this idea that feminism is a good idea feminism is good for business and so if you think of all the decision makers in the world all the boardrooms in the world who all of course desperately need our product do they want to listen to a woman who looks and sounds like me telling them that feminism is a good idea you know I'll let you answer that question. <laughs> I just wanted to touch based on something you said um, about, I mean, you talked about so, uh, social media earlier and how you compare your journey with, with, with others. Uh, but as something you said, entrepreneurs don't have a special gene for risk. They come from families with money. Can you talk a little bit about privilege? Yes. Well, this came about recently because of the Forbes 30 under 30 list which you know of course I used to think I'd be on it and I'm 36 oh. now so that ship has long sailed but I do I look at that list 
very, very differently to how I used to look at it in my 20s because I'm smarter, you know, I'm a better feminist, I'm learning really intentionally and daily about anti-racism and the more work you do in that area, the more you learn, the more you learn that you don't know about gender and race and class and sexuality and all these characteristics have got such a big part to play in a list like Forbes under Forbes 30 under 30 because none of these lists or these stories they don't pay attention to the starting gates you know they don't they don't tell us where these people started um because It's not sexy and it's not shiny because all of the data shows us that parents' wealth is the number one factor in successful entrepreneurship. So let's take somebody like Whitney Wolf Heard, for example, the founder of Bumble. So she's been documented and celebrated as the world's first female billionaire, I believe. But when you look at her starting story, her co-founder was a Russian billionaire. She grew up in an extremely wealthy family. Her husband is the grandson of a man called Bob Heard, who owns one of the largest oil and gas firms in America. So is Whitney incredibly inspiring? Has she done brilliant things? Yes. But her privilege is a huge, huge reason why she is where she is. And the the money that your family have play a crucial role in entrepreneurship. Like that's that's why I'm like we talked earlier about working in the open. That's why I want to another reason why I want to work in the open, because I want people who did not grow up wealthy and did not grow up with rich parents to know that you can start your business and you can be a success. Because when you look, if you just looked online or looked at the conferences and the Twitter feeds, all the entrepreneurs we see are white, male, highly educated. And the piece of the story that is often missed out is that they grew up with access to financial capital. They had family money, they have inherited, they have inheritance, they have a private education, which leads to connections. Like all these things create financial stability. And so much about entrepreneurship is about taking risk. It's about leaping into the unknown. It's about living in constant uncertainty. Now, if you have a a financial safety net, then that becomes a hundred, a million times easier. You know, for me, I had a loving, beautiful family home that I knew I could return to at any time. I still know I can return to at any time if everything, if everything were to go wrong. You know, that's, that's an intense privilege. And I just think we don't, you know, we don't talk about it enough. One woman I love who does talk about it a lot is Arlen Hamilton, who I'm sure you're a huge fan of as well. You know, she... Her story is very intense. Like she used to be homeless and she was living on food stamps and now she is running an incredible multi-million dollar fund. 
So, you know, I've, I never, I've never received financial support from my businesses, from my family. I'm the breadwinner in my house for a long time. I was the sole earner in our house. I was the first in my family to go to university. And I'm also, I'm, but I'm also white, you know, and I think race is a very, very significant factor in this conversation. You know, the stats for entrepreneurship around black and brown women are are tragic. Um, and it's just another reason why we need to look at the whole picture. We need to look at the starting gates and we need to be open and honest about the journey we've been on and and you know where it started. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Wallet. Please share this show with your friends and subscribe on your favorite platform. You can also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It only takes a few seconds, but it helps more people find our show. Join us again next Thursday for another episode of The Wallet. I'm interviewing Marisa Bate, a freelance journalist, author, and commentator on feminist issues. She covers stories that impact the lives of women. Marisa is a passionate advocate for women's rights, and we will talk about the cost of being a woman.